Welcome to Sports BKC, the Kansas City Star's daily sports podcast. It's Thursday, February 27th, and I'm Blair Kirkhoff. we got a busy show for you today. Star columnist Sam Mellinger drops by, and we discuss a few topics, starting with college basketball. Kansas State was expected to drop off from its Big 12 championship season of 2019, but this much? The Wildcats take a last-place record into Saturday's home game against Kansas, and what does that mean for the future of Coach Bruce Weber? Later, we'll find some time to talk Royals. Sam just got back from a stint at spring training, and I got some questions for him. Plus, you'll hear from Isaiah Simmons. He's the Clemson linebacker who went to Olathe North, and his stock is climbing on NFL mock draft boards. Simmons is a unique talent who can play several positions, and the star Sam McDowell was part of the group that interviewed Simmons at the NFL Combine in Indianapolis earlier today. But first, here's Sam Mellinger talking college hoops and other topics. Sam, it's been so long since I've seen you. I think the last time I saw you, since the last time I saw you, married, couple of kids, you know. It's, <laughs> right. It's, it's been a while. Yeah. <laughs> now, um, glad to have you back. You've been at spring training, for one thing. I have, yep. So that's that's never a bad gig. Yeah, it was good. Gig. It was good. Um, but I wanted to start today by talking a little college basketball with the Sunflower Showdown. Yeah. Coming up on Saturday. And I'm going to talk to Jesse Newell tomorrow about KU. So let's you and I talk about K-State. Yeah. It's quite the drop-off from last year when Kansas State shared the Big 12 title with Texas Tech, finished 14-4, and and they go into Saturday's game, I want to say 2-13 and with a Big 12 record. And reading uh, some Callis Robinette uh, stories, they are – on the verge of setting school records for most losses overall in a season and most conference losses in a season. And, I mean, this – I didn't see – there would be a drop – I figured there'd be a drop-off when you lose Dean Wade and Barry Brown and Kamal yeah. Stokes. I didn't see this kind of drop-off. And what does this mean for Bruce Weber? So <laughs> – the the way you opened, I thought what you were going to say is one thing that hasn't happened since we lost last saw each other <laughs> is that K State has not won a basketball game. Uh, Continues to be true. Yeah, I, I thought I was with you. They, they were picked like ninth, right, in the preseason. Yes, in the in the conference, and I thought that was low. Um, I, I thought I really like Xavier Sneed's game. Um, he's not a one, right? Like, I mean, he, right. he's more of a guy that you want as your two or three. Maybe that's. Part of the deal, um, I, I just thought they would be able to win more games than this. And um, it, it's really snowballed in the wrong way. Um, you know, some of the at least superficial indicators, they're, they're not good. You know, it's it's Bruce Weber banging the stool. It's, um, you know, it's and it, it's a lot of like, I like Bruce. He makes it hard sometimes with, you know, over and over. He's talking about like, we're cursed. You know, and it's yeah. sort of a joke in the beginning, but it's sort of, I, I don't know. I didn't, didn't let the players talk to the media after the Baylor yeah. game and just goofy yeah. things. Threw them under the bus a couple of games ago, which yeah. is always kind of a tactic you use at some point. To, yeah. Uh, but nothing seems to be working. Yeah, and I, I think he's a good coach. Uh, you know, him and Chris Beard are the only coaches in the Big 12 that, that have won a conference championship, right, besides Bill Self. Uh, you and know, Bruce has won too. Yeah, he won yeah. his first year. Yeah, there, there, you know, there's something to be said for that. He's got a good recruiting class coming in next year, so you think things will will get a little bit better. But God, it's just. Um, I, I guess I'm just underlining what you said. I, I figured it might be bad. I thought they might, you know, end up maybe just on the wrong side of the bubble. 
but it's just snowballed and snowballed in the in the absolute worst way. You know, um, th- there will be some sentiment to have him fired after this year for, mm-hmm. for this year. This is an atrocious year. Absolutely, it really is. It's historically bad. Yep. And, but I think what we'll what we'll hear. What what I'm beginning to hear and, and what we'll continue to hear is those that didn't want Bruce in the first place are kind of reinforced in their yeah, in, that's in a good their opinion, um, and maybe the people who had Bruce had won over with two conference championships and Elite Eight run two years ago um, will uh, I, I don't know how they'll feel and I think those are that's an important constituency yeah for Bruce is how those who just didn't wildly embrace him at the I don't know if anybody wildly embraced him but they yeah. didn't embrace him at the beginning and he won over you know with with victories yeah. and and you know a couple championships I wonder where were they how they see Bruce but really what it comes down to is how Gene Taylor feels about it yeah. the athletic director yeah it's hard to see him getting fired. I, I know I, I texted you a few nights back and I said, I just Googled his buyout. Yeah. <laughs> I forgot after which game that was, but I, I was curious. Uh, it's, it's hard to see him being fired though. Uh, you know, just, they did just win a share of a conference championship. Um, you know, what would make him a lot more steady in that seat though right now is if he had a run to the elite eight. You know, like more than you know the the one where they you know things happen for him. But if, sure. if he had some more success, I guess a lot of the, you know both of the conference championships. If I'm correct me if I'm wrong, uh, they were one and done in the tournament after both those seasons. I believe, yes, right? the one uh, the first one they they lost here up up the street yeah, to LaSalle in uh-huh. in, uh, in Sprint Center. Of course, last year they went out to California yeah. and got beat. And and so I, I think it's easy for people to say, yeah, it was just a share, and we didn't win a, a game in the tournament, so those are kind of washed away. Um, you know, I, I guess I'm somewhere in the middle of the extremes. I'm probably more on the pro Bruce side. I, I think he's a good coach and all those things. But look, I completely understand whatever level of frustration there is amongst K State fans, and I think part of it is that it feels like there's a ceiling. And you know, this is what Bruce is going to be most years, <laughs> right now, notwithstanding. Uh, they're going to be good, never great. And, and there is this floor right now. And I, I totally get it if, if some fans out there want, just take a home run swing. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. But, you know, maybe we get, you know, something like, you know, th- there was a little bit of a star power with Frank Martin. You know what I mean? Sure. And that, that's part of this, too. It, it matters who you replace. And, um, you know, that, that's something that Bill Self fought a long time at, at Kansas. Now he squashed that. And Bruce has not squashed it. So that that's going to carry with him. They, look, they've they've got the good recruiting class next year. Uh, you know, hopefully they can make something out. And and freshmen are playing. You know, that's right. Contributing this year. Yeah. Uh, so, and you could argue that K State made the home run swing before Frank Martin and, and Bob Huggins. That's right. And yep. and that proved to kind of get the modern. You know, it ended the the Asbury Woldridge era of yeah. Kansas, Kansas State hoops mediocrity yep. and put it on this this level. You, you mentioned the ceiling, and you're right. There has been a ceiling for Kansas State, but it's the same ceiling that's existed for every other coach that's been there. That's true. Frank Martin got to an Elite Eight mm-hmm. and didn't get to a Final Four, and Lon Kruger got to an Elite Eight and didn't get to a Final Four. So the, the, they haven't been to one since 1964. Yeah. Cotton Fitzsimmons was a coach there who had a great season. So it's true for all of them. I, I don't know how a Kansas State fan should feel about that. Um 
Final Fours are different in 20, 2020 than they were in 1964. It's harder to get there. That's right. But anyway, I, I don't, I'm not going to pretend how a Kansas State fan should feel about Bruce Weber. My bottom line is I, he'll be back next year sure. with a better team. They won't be a last-place team. They'll have more talent for that. But if they are, if, if they're not in the tournament or not a competitive team next year, then that's the year I think Kansas State will make a change. The, that Google search told me that his buyout goes down after next season. <laughs> not by a lot, but it does go down. I do remember that. All right. So as we mentioned at the top, uh, you just uh, spent some time in, in Arizona. You look nice and tanned and relaxed <laughs> and, as you're supposed to be. I, I thought one of the interesting stories that I read from you was about uh, Salvador Perez, mm-hmm. who great to have him back. It's yeah. going to be – the lineup is automatically better with him in it. changes a lot of – the domino effect just changes a lot sure. of things. Um, but you had an interesting conversation with him. It really was. Every conversation with him – kind of one-on-one is always interesting yeah especially this time of year yeah yeah they, they tend to open up more mm-hmm. in spring than they do once the season begins yeah. and and he spent a whole year away from conversations that's right the media. <laughs> yeah so yeah. Maybe he's got some some backup but he yeah. needs to he needs to yeah. get out but some pent-up salviness <laughs> right, yeah. right 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 but one thing that you talk to other guys too other royals and and there's certainly more of a Look, this is I know this is spring training type of talk, but there's more of a leadership sort of aura about him than maybe uh-huh. there there was in the past. And look, he, he if there wasn't, I'd be disappointed because he's in a position to be a leader with his yeah. experience and his success with yeah. his team. So let's talk about that first. Do you see him he's always been a leader of Latin players in the clubhouse. Yeah. And we know where his blocker is and how yeah. Latin players kind of gravitate toward him, but I think he needs to, you know, be be a, an overall leader for this team. Yeah, and and I guess I should headline this by saying like I'm not sure how much this really matters in terms of wins and losses. I it's very it's very hard to quantify. But look, I was only there for five days, but this is something that I noticed in the clubhouse. It's something that I saw on the fields, and you know, perhaps most it's it's something that I heard from teammates, from uh, Mike Matheny, from Dayton Moore, especially. Uh, you know. Like he's always had this like effervescent, you know, energy and positivity and, you know, almost like the class clown in, in a good way. Um, and that's been great. And they've needed that energy. But I think they've needed something different, you know, the last couple of years. And there's a, a maturity. Um, I think Dayton Moore said uh, a focus that he hasn't seen before in South. And, and, you know, Dayton's been with South since the very beginning. Right. Right. Um, and. I think some of that is um, he'll turn 30, I believe, in May. Um, you know, some of that, some of that's with age. Some of that is, you know, he just missed a whole year of baseball. And he was around the team some, uh, but it's not the same. It, it, it just can't be. And I think that there's a little bit of an urgency with him of, you know, 14 and 15 were great, but he didn't want that to be it, you know. And I, I think that he also hears – a lot of talk, some of it, a lot of it, inside his own organization about him switching off the position. Yeah. And, and you know, you're going to take being a full-time catcher out of Salvi's cold, dead hands, you know, in, <laughs> in, in Sal's mind at least. Um, I do think that's going to happen. I think he's going to start to transition this year. Uh, to first, some innings at first base. Yeah, for, and first, and first and DH. And there, there's some complications there because if he DHs, that means Jorge Soler can't DH, obviously. Uh, you know, there's some feeling within the organization that Soler's a better 
right fielder defensively than than he's given credit for. But anyway, uh, it's just a matter of he, he's turning 30, 6'4", 240. You know, th- those guys just don't catch forever. And and this may be the time where, where he has to transition. It's just it's a new chapter of his career. And, uh, you know, may, maybe you're going to ask me about this anyway, but uh, we were talking sort of off air, I guess. But um, I, I, th- I did think it was really interesting that he brought up. I did not ask him about his contract. I did not ask him about free agency. It's well, still, stop right yeah. there because I'm going to uh, I'm going to quote you and then I'm going to quote. There we him. go. Yep. So here's what you wrote. Maybe that's why Perez, in a conversation for this column, brought up this brought up his contract unprompted. And here's the Salvador Perez quote. I don't know what's going to happen in two years, he said, which, first of all, I didn't, the length of the, it reminded me what the length of the deal is. So it expired in two years. And it continues, I'll be in free agency, so I want to make it to the playoffs with these guys before I leave. Before I leave. Yeah. I want to be here, but you never know what's going to happen, you know? So, you know, when I read that this morning, I said, oh, that's interesting. Now, look, we've all, we've all talked to Salvi. He's not the cleanest English-speaking sure. person. There, there's some things can get lost in translation sure. a little bit here, but I didn't get a sense reading this that you know uh, that that was the case. Yeah, that he's thinking in his mind that he's got a couple years to you know to to have a, to, to have success with the Royals and then yeah. let the chips fall where they may. Yeah, that hit my ears too, um, and I asked him about it later, and it was just it was sort of unclear. We we sort of had this quick back and forth that. I don't think I included it in the column because it was just sort of, I'm not sure what it meant. But I was basically like, w- when you leave, you know, and um, and he said, well, you know, I'll be a free agent. I was like, does that mean you're not open to a deal? And he kind of got, <laughs> we, we kind of wove in and out. And he basically said, if they come talk to me, I'll listen. But, you know, I'm not thinking about that right now. I'm just trying to play baseball. So I, I don't know what that means. I know the Royals are considering it. I do know that. Um, I, I do know that they, you know, look, they kick around a million scenarios like any front office right. in any sport. Um, but that's one of them. You know, do, do we do another deal with Sal? My feeling, and this is a little bit of an educated guess, but it's 90% just a hunch. I think he wants to be a free agent. Uh, he's never been a free agent. Free agency in that world of Major League Baseball players, uh, you know, the, everybody wants to be a free agent. Sure. Do and, you want to see their value? Yeah. Um, Alex Gordon, you know, wanted to be a free agent. Just see see what's out there. Um, now, I think Sal's going to be disappointed in two years with what's out there because of, you know, some of these things that we've been talking about. You know, where the game is going, it's going away from low on base, you know, sort of one-dimensional hitters that that may have to move off the position. Um, But anyway, uh, my point is I I think he's going to want to be a free agent unless the Royals just, you know, blow him away. So there is a, you know, a little bit of a a tick-tick there. And, um, you know, there's a lot of moving parts. MJ Melendez, you know, if, if, if he hits... Royals going to be a lot, <laughs> a lot more okay with Sal walking, you know, if, if MJ Melendez is a hitter, uh, you know, especially in, in, in two years. So it, it's, it's just, it's a, it's an interesting dynamic because Sal's always been a leader in sort of, he's one of, if not the loudest voice in the room. Sure, and, for sure. And in a positive way, everybody, how can right. you not like this guy? Um, he, he's just, I, I think that his joy for baseball, look, he, he does turn it up when the cameras are on. <laughs> um, you know, he's, he's he's got some showman in him, but when the cameras are off, there's still a lot of energy and joy, and I think you need that through 162. Um, so that that'll be a boost for them coming back. But it's you know, it's it's it's, it's just a really interesting part of his career. It's it's a new chapter. He's not the 25 year old you know Salvi Splash guy anymore. He he needs to be the adult in the room. 
if nothing else, it occurs to me that he should be pretty motivated to have mm-hmm. a good 2020 and 2021, yeah. Yeah. you know, if, um, to maybe, maybe, you know, smooth over some of the flaws yeah. in his game, like getting on base and taking a few more walks. Yeah, I, yes, I, I agree with that. I don't know. He's a pretty stubborn guy, and that served him well. Yeah, look, it, it, um, he's, he's had a successful career. Yeah, at this point. Um, I, it, it's hard to imagine him all of a sudden having a three twenty or three thirty on pace percentage, right? Um, and you know, <laughs> this hits in my head about, about this was in the aftermath of the wild card game in two thousand fourteen, and you know that whole season they were really hammering him to lay off breaking balls. You know, breaking balls away, breaking balls low. You just don't. That's not your pitch. That's not your pitch. Yeah, I know where this Remember, is going. Yeah. And after that hit that he that he got past Donaldson, it was four feet outside and an inch off the ground. They kind of like threw up their. Oh, we can't tell him anything. <laughs> the rest of his career, he's gonna swing at that pitch, and maybe it was worth it. But um, you know, I, I do think that he he wants to be seen um, as that guy too. It's it's important for him to hit in the middle of the order. It's important for him to be the catcher. It's important for him to work with the pitchers and, you know, just be in the middle of things. And, and I do think, you know, sense of urgency is a, is a phrase that, you know, is probably overplayed, but I think he's starting to get that a little bit. I really do. All right. So let's, let's talk, we'll talk some more Royals next week when, uh, when our friend Vahe um, is gone at spring training. So I want, I've got some other questions about spring training, but let's leave it at this for today and and pick it up next week all right thanks sam cool hey it's blair hey we have a special subscription offer for sportsbeat kc listeners unlimited digital access to the kansas city stars award-winning sports coverage sign up now for one year of sports pass for access to all the sports news features and columns we have to offer and it's only thirty dollars that's a forty percent savings off our regular rate for your convenience your subscription will automatically renew after the initial term at 50 bucks, unless you tell us to cancel. A lot of subscription services won't tell you that. They'll just sneak it on there. We just told you. Your subscription helps support the sports coverage of KansasCity.com and the Kansas City Star. Please visit KansasCity.com slash offer to get this special offer. And as always, thanks for listening. We're back, and now you'll hear an interview with Clemson linebacker Isaiah Simmons conducted with reporters at the NFL Combine in Indianapolis earlier today. Simmons was a standout at Olathe North. His older brother, Victor, played at KU. Star reporter Sam McDowell was part of the group who interviewed Isaiah Simmons, and we're going to run the entire give and take. About nine minutes in, Sam asks Simmons about the recruiting process. Here's the interview. The game is evolving, so the name of the game now is stopping tight ends, so um, something has to be done to stop these Travis Kelsey's and George Kittles out there. Isaiah, if I'm not mistaken, I think you were sometimes used inside. Do you feel at the next level that you have the ability to stack and shed the gas to line up inside? Absolutely. Um, like I said, mentally I feel like there isn't anything I can't do. I played every position except for a nose or three techniques, so um, when it comes down to it, I'm going to try my best ability to do anything I can. I said, when you were coming out of defense, I said, when you were coming out of high school, did you envision the kind of role you had at Clemson? I mean, I know some different colleges envisioned you in different spots, but one of the reasons you picked Clemson because they were going to move you around a little bit. 
Yeah, so coming out of high school, a lot of people, they they wanted me to come out receiver, some athlete, and some just like defense or safety. But um, I just knew I had an opportunity at Clemson, and that, that's one of the main reasons I picked it, is just for the opportunity it was presented. Never promised nothing there. And um, I knew the coaches were going to make me the best that I possibly could be, and I feel like going there really helped me flourish. So how did, how did you envision yourself when you were coming out of high school? Yeah, I mean, you don't ever dream of being an average guy, so I always dreamed of being, being you know, a top player, but um, it worked out in my favor, I said. What's yeah, um, the way his defense is, you know, obviously I would be a fitting guy there, but um, like I said, I feel like I could go there and, and be very successful. Isaiah, Leslie Frazier is one of the best defensive lines in football right now, working with the Bills defense. How do you think you do you think you'd be able to use your properly as they have like hybrid players? Yeah, so. Um, Personally, I think each coordinator would, would use me in their own different way because nobody all nobody has the same schemes or teams have similar schemes. But I can't really say how he would use me because I mean I'm not him. But I feel like I would be used in a special way. What's the most positions you ever very complimentary to you earlier this week? Have you spoken with the Chiefs? Um, I have not. I have in a phone interview, but not yet. Okay, so not here at the combine. No, not yet. Being from Kansas City, kind of often overlooked, not too many uh, football products coming from there, but you do see talent, Drew Locke obviously coming from last year. How proud are you to represent that area that might be overlooked? Yeah, um, just talking with some of the other guys here, they all, you know, see where everybody's from. I say Kansas. Everybody's like, Kansas? But, um, you know, I'm just really proud to um, be able to put Olathe, Kansas, where I'm from on the map. We haven't had a lot of many guys out there. You know, a couple of Braden Smith, Darren Sproles, but um, I'm just happy to be in the name of those guys and be able to help elevate the city. Have you talked to any other Kansas City products about this process and have they kind of helped you, you know, know what to expect around here? Yeah, um, I talked to Darren Sproles about two days ago. Isaiah, using machine learning capabilities, we have to be able to project your college data to grow. We found remarkable oh, uh, 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 Yeah, um, I don't know if I like truly have one person you could compare me to, just for all the different things I do, but um, yeah. What's most positions you ever played in one game? Most positions? In one game. I'd probably say probably five. Is that in college? Yes. Isaiah, who won the race with Travis Etienne? Oh, I knew this was coming. <laughs> yeah, so, so the race that's all over Twitter, Instagram, everywhere, I mean, I'll be honest, he, he got me on the lean on that one. But after that, we raced in the 40, and I won. But that's not on tape. But you know, he might not admit that. But everybody there knows I won that, and I won it clear as day. So, Travis Etienne, when you see this, just know I'm ready for I'm ready for round three, the tiebreaker. You know where to find me. You got my number. I say, can I ask you a little bit about the uh, draft going to Vegas? You'll be there. You have seen the pictures, the boat on the Bellagio water, the floating stage and stuff. Yeah. So, I will be there. And I think it's just kind of cool how everything has changed this year, just even with the combine and now the draft being like that different. Um, it'll definitely be like a memorable draft that everybody will look back at on and be like, wow, look at this. Yeah. You guys want that boat? 
Yeah. 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 Isaiah, there's a, sometimes there's a stigmatism of being having the label jack of all trades. You know that the other half of that is master of none. But you seem to have overcome that. What has been the key? Has it been how they've used you? Has it been how you've trained? What What do you think has been the key to, you know? being a jack of all trades and a master of those trades. Yeah, so the hardest part about it is the mental aspect, which is having to know what everybody has to do. Um, that was a, the most complicated thing I had to deal with. But um, I learned everything very fast, and I feel like that's what really benefited me and helped me play at a high level. How did you do that, though? Like, how do you learn every position so well that you don't have to think about what you're doing and so at Clemson, our back seven, we all meet in the same room. So I'm able to hear everything all at one time, opposed to having to go from room to room to room. Isaiah, can you talk about why, why does the NFL you know, need a player like you in today's game? What makes you so valuable? Um, if you know who George Kittle and Travis Kelsey are, then that explains it all. Um, stopping tight ends and linebackers playing man on running backs is um, like the game's no longer uh, a 250-pound linebacker. Like it's, it's more of guys that can run side to side and that are able to cover. Because it's just such a it's such a necessity now with the tight ends and running backs. So you're the you're the perfect NFL prototype hybrid linebacker. Do you think? Absolutely. Just talking about tight ends at the college level. Who are some of the best ones you thought you faced? Uh, Hayden Hurst was really good. Um, I don't know, Baltimore Ravens, first round tight end, but um, he was really well, really, really good. Um, Cole from Notre Dame, he's in this draft as well. He's also very, very good. Isaiah, can you talk? Can you talk a little bit about your upbringing? Because obviously, it starts at home. You know the values that are instilled in, by your family and whatnot. Can you just talk about how that shaped you into the guy you are today? Yeah. So, um, my family, they all. Me and my brother, just growing up, we've always been like the star players on the team and everything. Just being blessed with our natural abilities. But uh, my mom, she like sports was always second. So. Everything that she taught us had to come first, chores, everything we had to do. Um, if it was behavioral issues, like we weren't playing in the game, we weren't going to practice, um, all that stuff came first, which all of that stuff, it helped me to become humble. And um, I always wear these hoodies, shirts that say humble over hype. And um, there's a friend of mine, she started the brand. And um, I, it's something that I truly believe that humble over hype is like a, it was a serious thing that people should really live by. So um, if I had to put it into a saying, then there's no better way to put it than that. I haven't met with them yet. Have you met the Giants? No, not yet. How about the Bills? Not yet. Isaiah, I um, read the story about, I guess you and your brother playing video games when we were younger, and we used to mess with you and pull the controllers out. Yeah. First, is that true? And to really come back with a golf club and come after him? <laughs> yeah, that's true. But um, I mean, yeah. it was all love behind the golf club. Yeah. Isaiah, would you say it's hard to find a comp for you in the NFL? Because you do so many things, you're so unique. I mean, don't you have to pick like a few names, or, or is there the right? Um, so like personally, I I like model my game after a couple people. Like if I have to go look at film with somebody to get something. It would be like Von Miller, just for pass rush, Jalen Ramsey for man techniques, and um, Tyron Matthew, just because he plays around everywhere as well. So I take bits and pieces from all of them to kind of throw into my game. I say, what's three guys to be you? 
<laughs> What's your? What do you think your best film has been? Um, I can give you a top three. Okay. So um, I'd probably say the Virginia game, the South Carolina game, and then Syracuse game. All this year? Yeah, all this past year. So how, how do you define leadership? And do you think that a rookie can come into a team filled with veterans? Uh, yeah, so um, just being a leader from Clemson, team captain, I always preach to the younger guys that uh, leadership doesn't have an age on it. So you don't have to be a veteran. You don't have to be a starter to be a leader. A leader is just somebody who does things in the right way, even when nobody's looking. Do you think you can come into a team be a leader right away? Absolutely. Isaiah, when you were in Kansas City, did you feel a little bit underlooked until at least late, late in the process? I mean, I wouldn't say I really knew otherwise because, you know, there wasn't too many really, really high football recruits that came out of Kansas. So um, being a little three-star that I was was kind of big for, for that area. So um, I did feel overlooked. Um, I didn't really do camps. That could be a reason why. But I remember I would always send my film out to a lot of the schools that didn't offer me. And um, sometimes I would hear things back like, They'd be like, okay, I'll send it to our coordinator, never hear anything back, or most teams, they just wouldn't even respond. And um, I just felt that my talent level was better than um, what I was getting. So luckily, Clemson came, and um, Coach Sweeney, Coach Venables put their trust in me, and the rest is the history. Do you know how they heard about you? Was it one of those films you sent out, or did they hear about you? No, so uh, Coach Venables, um, he has a pass at Kansas State, yeah. and um, his friend's still in Kansas, and he sent him my team. Why didn't you go to camps? Was it just a you know, money issue? Or? No, it wasn't a money issue. I just, I'm a track guy, so I always did summer track. So um, it was, I was just doing track at the time. And all the camps are in the summer. Just kind of on recruiting, uh, Isaiah, Dabo is known for not really going out and getting guys early. He doesn't really throw out a ton of offers. So when you did get that offer from him, what did that mean? I really didn't know much about Clemson. I had to look him up. I didn't even know what state it was in. But um, the first I really heard about Clemson was, I mean, I knew who Sammy Watkins was, but the first I really heard was 2015 when they were in the national championship. I kind of felt like they came out of nowhere. But the more and more I learned about Clemson, I learned that, I mean, they've actually been there a lot. Um, we've had a lot of 10-win seasons, like in the past Ten years, I think we had nine ten-win seasons. So, um, you know, it really meant a lot, just because not that Clemson was hot, but um, just for the fact of the kind of program it is and, and what kind of weight the name holds. How influential are you going to handle your dad and, and your little brother? You, know, you mentioned your mother earlier, but you know they're involved in sports and everything that yeah so starting with my brother he, he paved the way for me uh he played at kansas and he kind of helped get my name out there because kansas being one of my first offers you know like when you get offers kind of like a domino effect and more and more come but um my brother definitely paved the way for me showed me everything about sports um i i remember just growing up in the backyard i would always go play football with him and his friends so i'm five years younger than everybody out there playing tackle football in the backyard. Um, so my brother, that's why he's really influential to me. Talk to him every day. Um, he's like my right-hand guy. And then my dad, just because, just the man that he raised me to be. And um, I still talk to him every day. And he still teaches me lessons as if I was a little kid. So um, a lot of respect for both of them.
Yes, I'm doing everything. Will you do? Have you been asked to do any other drills since you are so versatile? Nope. Corner or anything like that? Same no, thing. I have not. That will do it for today. Thanks to producers Derek Donovan, Savannah Smith, Randy Mason, Beth Welsh, and Chris Fickett, along with Sam Mellinger and Sam McDowell. Hey, where you can leave a comment or a like, please help us out by doing that. And we'll be back on Friday with another Sports Beat KC where we talk sports in Kansas City every day. Thank you.